All right. Um, so last Monday morning, um, last Monday, Jamin asked if I'd be up for, for preaching today. And uh, I said, yeah. And I found out there was a baby dedication. And then I looked at this passage in the lectionary. If you don't know, we uh, follow most Sundays the lectionary, which is um, something that's been around for a really long time. And churches throughout the world are kind of um, going through this. And so every Sunday, there's an Old Testament passage, a psalm, a, a gospel passage, and a, a New Testament passage. And it just so happened that, that today this one from Deuteronomy 6 was up. And so um, I decided that I would share just some thoughts on parenting. Um, you might see in the bulletin this uh, 7,000 days. Maybe you've figured out what that is. Maybe you haven't. Um, from the time our children are born until they leave the house, we have about 7,000 days. Um, the minyards are, are at the very beginning of that. And 7,000 days may seem like a really long time. And it is and it isn't. Um, I've got a 16-year-old and a 13-year-old, and uh, we're getting more towards the end of those 7,000 days. And um, I, uh, I, it's easy for me to forget what the phase that some of you are in with the little ones. Um, but this week I've had some time just to reflect. And uh, I, re I do remember, it's somewhere in the back of my brain back there, in the back of my memories, but I do remember that phase where you are just trying to get the kid to go to bed, right? Some of you are in that. Some of you are going to be in it for a little while. Um, one, I'll, I'm going to share some of our, my favorite kind of Grisham family stories, and one of them was when Micah, our 13-year-old, was 18 months old. And uh, Mandy was gone that night, and so I was, I was putting both boys to bed, and um, I had the four-year-old with me, the four-and-a-half-year-old at the time with me. And uh, I, I was doing all the, you know, there's a big routine when you're putting the kid down. And um, we, had all, we had it all. It was, it was supposed to be perfect. He had his sippy cup with his water, and I give it to him. Micah takes a sip. He says, no, cold water, and he throws it down. I'm like, cold water? All right, so let me go put some ice in this thing. Um, so I put some ice in it, bring it back to him, give it to him, takes a sip. No, cold water. This time he throws it at me. I'm like, what in the world? Do I need to go put it in the cocktail shaker? And I didn't do that. Um, so I go again. I'm like, more ice, I guess. I don't know what to do here. Give it to him. You probably know where this is going. No, cold water. He's just glaring at me like I have harmed him. Throws it down. So I'm, you know, at this point, you just lost your mind, like as parents, right? We've just, we don't even know what to do in this moment. And uh, Janina is laughing very loudly. She knows what I'm talking about. And uh, so the, the four and a half year old has been quiet throughout all of this. And finally he speaks up. He says, Dad, yes, son, I think he wants milk. He wants milk. All right. I'm out. Of, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to try anything, right? So I give him a little bit of milk, give it to him, takes a swig, goes to sleep. Four and a half year olds, man. We need them, right? Um, so, uh, so I remember. And uh, no matter um, what phase you're in, this task of parenting is, is a big one. The big idea today is that parenting is not a passive spectator sport. It requires vision and intentionality. So I want to talk about vision first. 
Um, there have been times in mine and Mandy's marriage where we've kind of gotten away to do kind of some brainstorming, some reverse engineering, some visioning. Um, and we, did, we had a couple of these times before we had kids. We had several years of marriage before we had kids. And so we would go away and just kind of talk about what we, what we wanted in a family, what our values were going to be, what we hoped for, what our dreams were. And um, one of the things we talked about was music. Mandy and I are both musicians. We met uh, singing in choirs in college. And we felt like we, we were hoping that our kids would be musical. We, we would think that would somewhat be passed down. And we wanted that for our kids. We wanted to have musicians in the family. We wanted to have music in the family. Music had played such a large role in our life that we couldn't imagine life where our kids wouldn't do the same thing. This is vision. It has to move into intentionality, though, in action. And so when they were born, um, when music was, was throughout our house, we were always singing silly songs. The guitar was always out. Um, Adam got a drum set when he was four. Think about that. <laughs> a drum set for a four-year-old. I don't know what we were thinking. That's, that's not a good move. I don't know that I can recommend that one. Um, they began taking piano lessons when, uh, when they were in first grade. Um, we invested money in a, in a nice piano a few years later. Um, and uh, so there were two extremes that we could have been guilty of within all of this. The first is that we could have shoved music down their throats so much so that they hated it, right? The other extreme we could have been guilty of is doing nothing and just hope that it just happens, right? Now, um, we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, I got to say, though, 16 years into this uh, vision, uh, there's been a lot of fruit. Uh, during the pandemic, they quit taking piano lessons. Um, and you might think that uh, they quit playing the piano, but they actually started playing more. There's not a day. I mean, every day somebody is playing that piano. Uh, Micah composes his own music. He's really good at that. Adam likes to li listen to songs, especially 60s and 70s rock, and figure it out on the piano. Um, we've seen fruit out of this vision, and it's been awesome. Now, imagine most all parents do this, whether it's with academics or career paths or sports or some other extracurricular activity. Um, but there's something that we want to talk about this morning that's even more important than all those things, and it's spiritual formation or what we call discipleship. And just to say what may be on your mind when I say something like discipleship, um, it's tricky. There's tension because of that first extreme. Some of us might have had religion, it seemed like it was just kind of shoved down our throats so much that, boy, it's, we've had some years in therapy or it's just taken us some time to kind of recover some of those things. And we're not sure that we want our kids to go through the same thing, right? Anybody with me on that? Yeah, there's tension in it. But the other, the other extreme is, is just as dangerous or more, and it's doing nothing. Um, now let me say a word about deconstruction, because um, this is something that I've always been really passionate about, is just creating safe places where we can go through our baggage with church or with faith or with religion and, and have just space to, to progress at our own um, pace with that. The thing is, your kids don't need to deconstruct. They don't need to deconstruct right now. Um, they need you, your help to build something, 
And I don't care how good or bad it is, they're going to be deconstructing it later. But right now, it's about constructing. It's about building. Um, you know, I, I think it is really tragic. And there's, there's a lot of grace here, but I'm just, just saying um, this other side that it, it is really tragic when parents, um, when we have this vision for, again, academics or career paths or extracurricular or sports or whatever, but we don't have a vision for formation of the heart. And so when I say discipleship, though, I want you to just open your mind to kind of enlarge and expand what we mean by discipleship. And, and for this, I want to go back to this passage. But let me give you some context. So Deuteronomy, this, the whole book of Deuteronomy is basically Moses' last message to the Israelites. After 40 years of wandering in the desert with them, after, you know, the, they spent... Years and years and years and years and years as slaves in Egypt. And God had rescued them and had something in mind, this promised land, this, you heard it, land flowing with milk and honey. Maybe we don't think that's awesome, but it was, I guess. Um, this promised land was coming. And he, at this point, most of those folks who had been in Egypt had passed away. It's been 40 years. And, and Moses actually isn't going to go in the promised land with them. So this this new generation, and he wants to remind them of the story. He wants to remind them of who God is. He wants to remind them who they are and what God has done in them. And um, he reminds them of how their parents, after being set free, had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. It didn't take 40 years to get from Egypt to where they were going. It was because of their rebellion, the fact that they would not trust God, um, that he allowed them to wander. And this new generation had an opportunity to do things differently. And that's his hope for them. So I want to read, um, I'm actually going to read this whole chapter, Deuteronomy 6. And I'm going to read it from the message. And uh, you can just listen to this. It says, Moses says, This is the commandment, the rules and regulations that God, your God, commanded me to teach you to live out in the land you're about to cross into, to possess. This is so that you'll live in deep reverence before God lifelong, observing all his rules and regulations that I'm commanding you, you and your children and your grandchildren, living good long lives. Listen obediently, Israel. Do what you're told so you'll have a good life, a life of abundance and bounty, just as God promised, in a land abounding in milk and honey. Attention, Israel. God, our God, God, the one and only. Love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you've got. Write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you and get them inside your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands and foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your homes and on your city gates. When God, your God, ushers you into the land he promised through your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you, you're going to walk into large, bustling cities you didn't build, well-furnished houses you didn't buy, come upon wells you didn't dig, vineyards and olive orchards you didn't plant. When you take it all in and settle down, pleased and content, make sure you don't forget how you got there. God brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Deeply respect God, your God. Serve and worship him exclusively. Back up your promises with his name only. 
Don't, don't fool around with other gods, the gods of your neighbors, because God, your God, who is alive among you, is a jealous God. Don't provoke him, igniting his hot anger that would burn you right off the face of the earth. Don't push God, your God, to the wall as you did that day at Massa, the testing place. Carefully keep the commands of God, your God, all the requirements and regulations he gave you. Do what is right. Do what is good in God's sight so you'll live a good life and be able to march in and take the pleasant land that God so solemnly promised through your ancestors. Throwing out your enemies left and right exactly as God said. The next time your child asks you, what do these requirements and regulations and rules that God our God has commanded actually mean? Tell your child, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and God powerfully intervened and got us out of that country. We stood there and watched as God delivered miracle signs, great wonders, and evil visitations on Egypt, on Pharaoh and his household. He pulled us out of there so he could bring us here and give us the land he so solemnly promised to our ancestors. That's why God commanded us to follow all these rules so that we would live reverently before God, our God, as he gives us this good life, keeping us alive for a long time to come. It will be a set right and put together life for us if we make sure that we do this entire commandment in the presence of God, our God, just as he commanded us to do. This is the word of the Lord. There's this phrase that's repeated several times in this. It's the good life. When I think of discipling my sons, I think about the good life. This is like the core piece of my theology, that God wants the good life for us. And I get that may be really different from what you grew up with when you talked about being discipled or whatever that looked like. Maybe it was more about rules. Maybe it was more about do this, don't do this. It was a lot about morality. And as we see, I mean, um, Moses says that there are some rules they'll need to follow, but it's rooted in a, a much greater vision than simply morality. Moses wanted the Israelites to experience the fullness of life that God had for them. And he knew, he knew it was possible if they placed their trust in God and obeyed. But if they chose instead to follow their own path, they would no doubt repeat the mistakes of the previous generation. Now, I've learned so much about this, being actually being a parent, because um, you know, as parents, especially to the younger kids, um, we're basically saying, "Follow my rules, so you don't die." Right? Uh, basically, that it's not it's not because I'm on a power trip. And I want some little minions. It's actually because if you go off on your own, little four-year-old, it's going to end poorly, right? I'm trying to keep you alive. Another, another story out of our life, this one also centers on Micah. Um, when he was, uh, when he was, they were probably six and three, and one of the grandfathers had, had given the boys a big bag of Reese's peanut butter cups. Side note, I can't wait to be a grandfather. Um, so left to their own devices, uh, they will eat the entire bag in one sitting and will get sick, right? So we as good parents who love them, not trying to deprive them from Reese's, that's a good thing, but we felt like we need to protect them, so we put it on top of the refrigerator, the bag. Well, the three-year-old, uh, Micah, decides he really wants those Reese's. So we had these chairs, like a high table, 
And so the chairs were a little higher. So he moves the chair over, and then he takes this little red Ikea chair, puts it on top of the big black chair, proceeds to climb up. I hope I'm not giving any ideas. Um, proceeds to climb up, reaches, he's that high, reaches into the bag of Reese's with a smile on his face, but also a, I haven't thought about how I'm going to get down, but that's okay because there's Reese's. Mandy walks in at this moment, a little bit of teetering, probably screams and lunges for him, which probably scared him more, gets him down, and um, we, Mandy and I ate all the Reese's as punishment. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that happens sometimes, children. Um, <laughs> when, when our kids decide that uh, they know more than their parents know, uh, and, and they do things that are dangerous or sometimes just plain stupid, if we're being honest. Things normally don't end well, right? And guess what? The same is true for us when it comes to God because we're children. And many times we too think we know better, we know what's right, and we can do what we want to do. And it many times um, ends poorly. And the thing is, we're often not very smart in our rebellion um, one last classic Grisham family story. This one centers on Adam. I can't leave him out. When he's about two years old, um, so we just got the one at the time, about two years old, I had bought a little box of Tic Tac, orange Tic Tacs. Great little treat. And he likes the Tic Tacs, but, you know, one, we don't want him eating a bunch of candy, and two, you know, you could swallow those things. And so, so he couldn't have them, and I had put them in a drawer, and one afternoon, one Saturday or Sunday afternoon, he's been kind of playing, and Manny and I were in our room, which was right off the kitchen, and we hear, we hear him, just the little feet, walking in the kitchen, and then we hear that drawer open, and we're just waiting. And the next thing we hear is, click, 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 click. He's running with the Tic Tacs, which is not a very good getaway. But again, I think we probably do that often running with Tic Tacs. He was busted, obviously, and we are quite often. Um, when, when I think about, when I have been thinking about and or am continuing to think about spiritual formation with my kids, like, I want the good life, and I think that's possible. Um, but I know that there's this countercultural element message at, at play with that, that, that the culture is always telling us what what... They're giving us pictures of what the good life is, of, of what we need to do and what we need to have to attain that. And we all go after that at times, and often it, it doesn't end well, right? Um, I've, uh, I've, I've, I've been trying to, to read the Bible, um, the whole Bible in a year, and um, I've tried it before starting it with Genesis in... Um, in January, and I get a little ways, but at some point a few months in, I kind of have hit a wall. This year, I tried starting just a couple of months ago with like Jeremiah and trying to go through the whole thing, thinking I'll have a little momentum and all that. And anyway, I just, um, just in the last couple of weeks, got into the New Testament and was reading the Christmas story. And just um, taken with, with that story, these ordinary people, you know, that no one would have imagined that the Marys and Josephs and Zechariah and Elizabeth would be the ones that would be center stage for the Messiah coming into the world. But what you see in those ordinary people is just humility and trust 
and obedience when what they were being asked to do was sound, I mean, was crazy, right? It's one crazy story after another, yet they continue to submit. They continue to trust. Um, and then just a few days ago, I read the story about Peter. Um, Jesus in John 6 has just fed the 5,000, you know that story? And, you know, if you thought the crowds were big when he was uh, healing people of diseases and casting out demons, you, you've seen nothing until there's free food involved. And people even more are coming now. And he picks this time to give this really challenging message. And the disciples are stoked in this moment because, like, this is what they've been waiting on. The revolution is happening. The crowds are here. They're going to overthrow Rome. I mean, everything that they've been hoping for is happening. And he preaches this message, and guess what happens? The crowds leave. They're gone. So much for that, Jesus. And it's pretty much just he and his crew, and he asks them this question. He says, do you want to leave too? And they're all looking at the ground. No one wants to say anything except for Peter, who... Anytime there's five seconds of silence, that's four too many seconds of silence. And so he speaks up and he says, where would we go? You have the words of life. We've come too far. We know too much. We know that you're the Messiah and things are not working out the way we thought they would. This isn't quite what we thought, but we're going to lay down our agenda because we believe. We know. Boy, that, to me, we can get so many things wrong, but coming to that place where we just submit, that's what Moses wants for these people, and that's what God wants for us today, and that's what we want for our children. Um, so that's a little bit about vision. Just in my last little bit, I just want to talk about intentionality, action. What does it look like? Um, and I'll just share a few thoughts. There's all kinds of things we could talk about. But just from this passage, one of the things that we see is that there's both formal and informal discipleship with our kids. There's this idea of formal, which I think we think about coming to church, the kids being in their class, sermons, those kinds of things. It's uh, Moses talks about tie them as symbols on your hand and bind them on your foreheads. It's this imagery of its... There's, there's something formal going on all the time. Um, and again, this happens in church if your kids come here and, and they're in their classes, but it also is supposed to happen at home. That would be God's intention. Uh, when, when the pandemic was going on and we weren't meeting, um, we had the Facebook Live. We were doing that some, but we also were like, we need something for our kids. And so we just went through the, the book of Mark with them. Um, there's all kinds of things that you can do that are practical. Um, but I love that Moses also talks about there's the informal. It's the when you're sitting at home, when you're walking along the road. It's, it's looking for teachable moments. It didn't have to be cheesy. Um, it's, Jesus was a master at this, obviously, with agriculture. I don't try that because I don't, I don't know anything about agriculture. Um, but it's as you're going, it's you're looking for teachable moments in their days. It's being willing to be interruptible. It's uh, it being willing to be interrupted. It's, um, you know, as you're hearing about their day, uh, your kids, it's, it's where does God want to speak into that? What's going on and how does, 
What does God think about these things? Uh, we're learning that being interruptible now is um, sometimes when the best talks are, are ready, it's late at night, which I'm not a, a late person, but like being willing to be in those moments and be alert during those moments. So that's one thing. Um, I think the other thing that has just been on my mind is just um, tap into your community. The role of community here, Moses is not talking to individuals, right? He's talking to a community. Everything in that time was communal. And just as parenting isn't a spectator sport, it's not a solo sport. I think it's actually meant to be a communal thing. And that's why I love this liturgy that we just had, that the church, the community has a role in this. The thing that Moses is always talking about, and he does it in this passage, is just this discipline of remembering. Um, and he's there to remind them again of who they are, who God is, what God has been doing. But like, I think we're meant to do that for each other. At those times that we've forgotten that parenting is just too hard, um, that we're meant to remind each other of what God's doing. And we actually need that. The other piece with community is Mandy and I have just always had some people in our lives who were a little bit ahead of us, especially in parenting. Um, I remember when um, Adam was almost a teenager, we had some friends over and we invited a couple who had kids a few years older just to talk. We were talking a lot about technology, what was the role of technology going to be in our teens' lives, and just brainstorming and hearing kind of our, our hopes with that. Um, knowing that we weren't going to get a, a simple answer with it and knowing that we may as couples choose as families choose some differences but we were also kind of like hey what if we did some of this together like the phone like with all of us we did a phone at this age with whatever you know and and right now I find myself talking to to, to dads who have just sent their kids to college because that's a big deal and I'm getting close to it and I have no idea what that's going to be like and so be intentional with community. Be intentional asking questions. Be intentional being honest and vulnerable with your friends when parenting is just, you're losing your mind. Because it will happen. Be intentional. You're not the only one who's experiencing the pain. You're not the only one experiencing the heartache, the confusion. You got others around you. Last thing is always be learning. Um, but don't wait for the perfect plan before you dive into a new phase of parenting. Um, baby steps are awesome. This was a thing for me. So when I had this idea that when the boys hit middle school that I wanted to do a weekly breakfast with them, just one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, but man, I didn't really have that modeled for me. And so I didn't know what it looked like. And I had read some stuff, and some of it seemed super daunting. And I, and I finally came to this place. I'd been thinking about it for six months at least. And I finally came to this place. If I don't take a baby step, as imperfect as it is, then a year from now I'm going to be thinking about the same thing. And a year from then I'm going to be thinking about the same thing. And so we just started, Adam and I started going to Barksdale uh, once a week. And that became our spot in the pretty soon the waiter knew exactly what we were going to order and it just became a tradition for us and we still do it and um we've during that time and then micah started um now 
Uh, during this time, we've read some books, we've memorized some scripture, we've just taught, but it's a tradition and it's something. And as we've entered different phases, we've just wanted to have something there that we could enter into with our kids. And so, man, there is something that when you haven't had this kind of thing modeled well, or maybe there was parents weren't real engaged, or again, maybe you're still just working through having religion crammed down your throat. I get it. And you're still, and because of that, it's impacting everything. It's impacting everything, and it is. It's supposed to. It's that big of a deal. But I just encourage you to take some baby steps. Talk to some other people and um, have intentions because these 7,000 days are really a blip. And it's one of the most important things as parents that we do. And if you don't have kids right now, um, this communal thing involves you as well. You have a role as well. I love spending time with people who have the little ones. It's fun, again, to be with people who have the little ones because we're, we're removed from that one. Um, but vision and intentionality, those 7,000 days will, will go. Let me pray for you.